Coming to you from USL headquarters, this is Steal Some Time. Here's the USL's Kelsey Steele. Hello and welcome to Steal Some Time, episode 16. I'm Kelsey Steele, joined by Scott Stewart and Matt Cavill. Hello, everyone. How are we doing today? Fantastic. Amazing. Super cheery. Hey, hey! it was a big weekend. Football's back. I think we Football's should lead back. off with that. There's yeah. some excitement in the air. I know... Um, Matt Calvo has, has a, a soft spot for his Gators. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time. This is, we did touch on this last week, I think, that this time in sports right now, there's just so much going on. Um, I was actually talking to a friend of mine earlier in the week that um, I like wanted to go out in the pool. We only have so much sun left at that time, but I was like, there's way too many sporting events going on to be outside. <laughs> like, I have to be in front of like five TV screens at the moment. The beauty and hateful nature of FOMO. Right. Yes. In 2019. <laughs> this this is if where the only way to receive sporting events mobily on a device that you could set up near the pool and like have some headphones in some sort of mobile you know? device. I had a moment to myself this week where I was like, man, I um I'd probably have such a life if I didn't like sports. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, so, the places we so can go. Oh, the places we can go. Yep. Wow. Speaking of sports, man, week 27 has come and gone along with some results that um, turned quite a few heads this week, I think. Um, there's actually, and Scott and I were talking about this before um, we started recording, there's just, there's so many results that are worth talking about that I really am. I'm not sure how we're going to kind of touch on all of them because there's a lot of notable storylines underneath all of those results as well. But um, take it back a week for Indy and New York. Indy just grabbing a major point at home. Um, that was that on, that was such an entertaining Wednesday night game also, Scott. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that one. It was incredible. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. I mean, I, I know that I, like, talked a big game going into it just, like, about <laughs> how entertaining it was going to be. But I truly, like, this one lived up to every bit of the hype. Like, New York looked incredible in the opening half hour. Yanis Lubo broke both the post and, like, yes. my version of the internet with that near miss, um, or should I say near make. But Indy. Dane Kelly delivering late game. Evan Newton making like five or six huge stops. That's a major three points for them. They are now in the driver's seat for first place. And I wouldn't blame anybody who uh, placed a bet on that one. You're still putting him in the driver's seat even after the, the loss this past weekend? I do. It does make you like second guess it a little bit? I think the circumstances this weekend were a little bit strange, right? Like Indy's preparing yeah. to travel to Charleston for a Saturday game. They play Sunday evening instead. I mean, there was a, an adaptability that I would have liked to have seen from Martin Rennie's team. It just didn't come. They also heavily rotated their guys. Like Pasher wasn't even in the 18, let alone the starting 11. So... Why? Why is, do you think that was? I think Indy is well aware of what their immediate future looks like. Like their schedule coming up is just as hectic as anybody else in the East. And I think if I'm Martin Rennie or pretending to be Martin Rennie here, I'm understanding that I have many things on the horizon, including Ottawa on Wednesday. Then you're uh, hosting Bethlehem. Then you travel to Birmingham. Mm -hmm. You travel to Atlanta. Like they've got like eight or nine games left in the regular season, which. There are teams in comparable situations. I just think Rennie took the route of, I'm going to rest my guys now and hope that, you know, not bringing Pasture to Charleston, maybe I can get a point, maybe I can win it outright. It didn't happen. You sort of have to take that one on the chin as a coach, you know? I think that's fair. And you mentioned Ottawa, too. And I think that's kind of a, a story that's really flown on under the radar these last, what, two months? Mm -hmm. We had a point in time midseason where 
Ottawa was a massive contender in the Eastern Conference. And we've had, listen, I mean, we've said this so many times where it's kind of been a circle where, you know, you've had the El Paso, you know, you've had um, St. Louis, you've had a few teams that just look like they're going to come into their own and then something kind of happens. And in Ottawa, I mean, I thought at one point we were seeing a for sure postseason contender and now it's it's been a, a steady downhill, I think, for, for Ottawa, unfortunately for them. And, um yeah, you, you look at their loss to to Atlanta this week as well, and I think that yeah. just kind of continues to to keep that ball rolling. Un- unfortunately for them, but on the other end of that, I think it's really important that while we're talking about the Eastern Conference, that we mention Birmingham. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think it's tough for Ottawa right now, but they have to like you're at winner go home, winner stay yes. home territory now for the championship. I mean. They've got people breathing down their necks. Birmingham, one of the teams who has separated themselves from the pack. Granted, it has taken like a nine-game unbeaten run and seven out of those being wins to get to where they're at now. Maybe not ideal moving forward, but they're here. They've put in the work to get to this point, and now obviously the most important thing is that they get points where they can and they win the games that they know they're capable of winning that's not going to be news to Tommy and the the boys down there, but it's it's absolutely vital that they can't let anything slip here because if they give one inch, an inch becomes a foot, a foot becomes a yard, then you're out of the playoffs. It just kind of proves like what early season games can do for your season. Yeah, because absolutely. If, you know, a few a few more wins for Birmingham early on in the season when they were struggling. And they would be in a much more comfortable position now after this amazing run that they've been on. Yeah, I think I saw a stat, and I would need Nicholas Murray in here to, to fact check, but I think that they are the first club in championship history, dating back however far, to both go winless for a nine-game stretch and unbeaten for a nine-game stretch. So it's pretty remarkable what they've got going on. They have to answer to now a surging St. Louis side. I don't want to place the curse on St. Louis per usual. We're going to briefly briefly acknowledge and then we're going to move on. Are we going to do this again? I don't don't want to do this again. So St. Louis, if you're listening, stop. (laughs) Close your ears. We're we're here for the show that you've been putting on in the last seven days. Nine points in seven days. And you've got a, a, a Birmingham side that's won seven of their last nine games. I, again, I'm going to leave it there. We'll talk about talk about Boy, maybe a like little a more game. in week 20, 28, and we'll let that sit. Um, I I think that's ex- extremely noteworthy. We'll leave that as is. I one other Eastern Conference point that I really think it's interesting to bring up to you here, Scott, is if we go back to 2018, mm. you you are very familiar with a side in Louisville City FC. I don't know if you if 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 you know any much about them. I saw them um, play approximately 40 times between February and October. So wow, a bit. Such a dedicated fan, Scott Stewart. Yeah, season ticket holder. It's, well, here's the deal. After week 27 in 2018, Louisville never lost a game again. Mm. So at that point in time. Was that the Nashville nil-nil draw? Or no, was that Cincy? It was Cincy the 1-0 at Slugger Field after the rain delay? They drew with Pitt. And then six regular season wins plus four postseason wins yeah. to finish out a, a, obviously the run, the run of the year. And that's even putting in to the run that, that FC Cincinnati put together. So all I'm saying is we have this week, week 27 bu- bubble. They drew this week with, uh, with Pittsburgh. I, mm. I'm just saying 
that Connecting some dots. were we've, we've talked about how Louisville has progressively been looking better and better each week. We, you know, had a, a nice little nod during supporters week where, you know, your your buddy old pal came in and said he had he had no real concerns in the rest of this regular season schedule. So I just want to float this for any of our USL championship fans to hear. Is there a potential beer shotgunning? Listen, I don't know how many more times we can bring up the shotgun, you guys. <laughs> it's um, I, I think she's she's run her life. course. <laughs> I think she's run her course. Anyways, I thought that was um, a, a nice little note to to think on. And yeah, so September fifteenth of week twenty seven in twenty eighteen, we never saw Louisville take an L again. That was that's a good line. A, that's remarkable. Yeah, that was. That was a good line. <laughs> that's really remarkable, though. I mean, I remember that that Cincinnati game twice, um, not by choice twice, but twice. Um, and then they went on to, like, they laid the heat on Ottawa, Toronto. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had a lot of really high-scoring, high-impact games, which led to the high-scoring, high-impact playoff wins. Would like to see something similar happen again. We're just going to leave it at that. But, but quickly, the opposition, totally different. You've got Red Bulls, too. You've got the Rowdies, you've got St. Louis, and you've got Nashville all on that stretch of final six games. So if they can do something even... bottom of the table. Yeah, if they can do something even remotely close to what they did last year, wow. Hats off. Full standing ovation from me in Tampa. I love it. Uh, Over in the West... There are a few things that we have to hit on. We are knocking it out here early. Phoenix Rising wins number 18 of the season. Listen, we, we laugh because I, we just don't know how much more we can harp on it, you guys. I um, we, We've all went out and said how much we we are fans of what Phoenix is doing. We are, you know, impressed to say the least. Solomon Asante just continues to work wonders for that attack. And, um, you know, he... he somehow collects his 21st goal of the season and it's just absolutely incredible what he's doing for that club and of course this week they set franchise record records for wins with 20 and points with 64 so phoenix grabs a point over san antonio a question or two i think left on the table there for san antonio i think they would have some choice words i think scott stewart has some choice words. no i just an informal request. I would like to know from St. Louis or St. Louis from San Antonio fans. One, do you agree that it was a free kick? Two, is Solo Asante your biggest nemesis moving <laughs> forward? Because that guy absolutely pinged that free kick to the point where even my heart was leaking a little bit because I was like, ah, oh, guys, that's such a bummer. Like, you, you're so close. So close. It's like that hanging dollar insurance commercial. You're just, you're so close to it, but Solo wins again. You're just poking the bear now. I'm just saying, man, there can only be one. It's in his name. It's Solo. He's been blessed, though, with a name. He I has mean, been just, blessed. Uh, there and are an people out there talent. who just have. Sports are born with like a sports name, and mm-hmm. it's Solo. My, Solo. My goodness, what a name. Um, if we're looking like two or three below, obviously Phoenix has really distanced themselves in the West. That's no question. But we had a matchup in Week 27 between Reno and Fresno that uh, really, I think, solidified what this Fresno squad is. You know, take that, take that 2-0 lead and um, – Looks like it's all kind of said and done. No? This was, yeah, this was such a weird game. <laughs> it was such a weird game. 
This is so strange. You start laughing. I'm like, oh God, what did I say? No, nothing. Just the circumstances around this one were, oh, I'll remember this one for a while, I think. It, I mean, it, it was spectacular. I mean, it just the Farino to, to come back and tie it up in gorgeous fashion, too. I mean, just two beautiful finishes and uh, sequences that they put together. And then freaking Fresno still finds a way to get it done. Yeah. So. A little rundown of the Saturday evening. So I've got this game and Phoenix happening simultaneously, along with a third game. Chavez and Kafa score in the first half. I'm like, wow, Fresno, shout out you guys for going to Reno, putting your stamp on this. Musovsky scores in the 89th minute, and I'm like, all right, this is somewhat interesting. I cannot even switch toggles on my laptop without Musovsky scoring a second goal to tie it up. So at this point, I'm like losing my mind, right? Because Phoenix is still at nils with San Antonio. Reno has just done the unthinkably weird accomplishment of bringing it back to 2-2. So I'm looking at Solo on one screen. I'm looking at Reno Fresno on the other screen. Solo hits his free kick. As Solo's hitting his free kick, I see that Fresno was awarded a penalty. And at this point, this is maybe the only time in the history of my life where I have wished that I had that weird talent where my eyes could separate on one distance and I could watch two things at once because this was absolute madness. Shout out the Foxes for never saying die. That's it. This is the weirdest episode, I swear. There was I, too much happening. All I wanted for that scenario was to get Scott Stewart a whiteboard and for him to be... <laughs> I almost went like full Pepe Silvia levels of like trying to... You talk about connecting dots. I was circling like six games at once at that point, so... Heck of a Saturday. Thank you, genuinely, to all three, four teams previously mentioned for making it a really entertaining <laughs> night. Listen, uh, all, all said and done, I, I think that we now have a, a Foxes side that looks incredible and looks very different than it did in its inaugural season in 2018. Yeah. Um, they're going to clinch a postseason berth here very soon they're seven points away I, that's not a question anymore whether or not they're gonna um be able to sustain their first ever postseason birth it's happening mm -hmm. um i don't think it's a matter of really even when because at this point i'm very very interested in to see what their next you know five weeks after is going to look like because yeah. this is a, a fresno side that i'm gonna say it phoenix has found a way to win games and that's kind of what separated them apart, I think, in the Western Conference. They they might not even look like the best team on the field at the time, but they're finding a way to pull away at the very end. Fresno is also doing the same. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, when they were getting hot earlier this season, one of the things you and I talked about was the difference defensively, right? Mm -hmm. So they had given up, like, an insane amount of goals last year. Their goals scored is relatively the same as it was last year compared to this year. The goal differential at this point, I think they've almost halved the amount of goals they've conceded, which, of course, that's going to make a big difference. I think the other thing about Fresno is they're doing all of this without Arun Basulovic, who mm. fractured that femur a month, maybe two months ago. And so they've had to operate without one of their leading chance creators and in goal scorers and really just attacking threats, period. So it's been a really solid run from Adam Smith and his guys. But I think you raise a really good question. It's just as important how you finish the season once you know you're safe as anything else. Absolutely. And I think that when you look at teams in the Western Conference right now that need to find out, oh, find a way to finish their seasons, that's New Mexico, who 
finally broke the curse. Oh, no pun intended. My, oh, wow. my bad there, guys. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, it finally <laughs> found, found a win over OKC. That's, that's a massive victory for them. And, of course, Devin Sandoval landing a, a gorgeous bicycle kick. Dude's got a way of, of finding the bike, doesn't he? Um, I, that's, that's massive for them in the playoff picture, especially when you look at that middle of the Western Conference and where everything lies there. Um, I think – as, as big of a point, three points, I should say, as that was for New Mexico, we've got to look at Orange County and just spend a moment or two and, and look at the form and, and what they are producing uh, over in, in SoCal because let me tell you, Orange County is for real. And I just feel like I'm having this little bit of like deja vu with, uh, with Darwin Jones and, and Michael Seaton just absolutely dominating right now we're talking about two guys that combined for nine goals and eight assists over the last seven games they're they're the playmakers they they are yeah. finding a way to be involved and, and when you look at finishing out the rest of the season and making that postseason uh push who better to have at their very best than than your playmakers dynamic duo dynamic duo yeah michael seaton darwin jones in, incredible uh combination there I think we're looking at a situation out west where one, two, three is pretty much in, right? Mm -hmm. Phoenix one, Fresno with the separation on Reno two, Reno plenty of separation on Austin three. Between four and 12, you've got five points, two games that could go your way. Orange County obviously making a case much more recently than, um, than as a season as a whole. They are making the case that they absolutely want that four spot. They want to be able to host one of their playoff games, and I don't blame them at all. It is going to take someone, and I literally mean anyone, to plant the flag and actually take a hold of the remaining games they have because this Western Conference is so inconsistent and so difficult to not only grasp but just manage as a whole that I would love to say Orange County is going to Pip Austin for fourth. Austin, by the end of it, could be out of the playoffs considering they have a three-point cushion on 10th place OKC right now. It is extremely difficult to sit here and say that anyone between four and 10 is in because they're just not. It's just the reality of, of how the uh, the table looks right now. So what have you done for me lately is important now. What are you going to do for me in the coming future is the question I'm eagerly awaiting an answer to. Why do I feel like we're all suddenly dating Scott Stewart? God, Uh, this is overwhelming. Welcome to the intimate world of my USL championship. (laughs) I don't know that I wanted to go there. (laughs) Invite for all, apparently. Yeah, I mean, only time will tell. I mean, as as cliche as it sounds, um, a a lot of... Well, can you tell me if you really understand or know who San Antonio is? No, No, I have no idea. LA Galaxy 2 are in 6th. When, when did that happen also? Sacramento has gone from 4th to 12th to 7th. Oh, it's like a giant puzzle. Like, there is... I'm at least losing hope that there is any way to win this scenario from a prediction standpoint. Like, you could throw any of these teams in any of these orders, and maybe that's a task for, for Nicholas. <laughs> 
you could literally place any of these guys anywhere and work out a way where it's extremely reasonable and maybe even believable that it ends that way. So just a lot to consider out West. But yeah, if anyone wants to take the reins here, we gladly open the door for you to do so. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a, a side over in the Eastern Conference that isn't worrying too much about their postseason position and their current run of form, and, and that's the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. So we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, Pittsburgh Riverhounds Joe Greenspan is going to be joining us. And if you guys aren't familiar with Joe's story, you have to stick around. I mean, you should stick around either way. But Joe currently serves as a reservist in the Navy, and he but he still finds a way to train with the Riverhounds every single day. Just a, an awesome story. So you're not going to want to miss this one. We are going to be right back. Pittsburgh Riverhounds defender Joe Greenspan on the show today. Joe, how's everything going in the Steel City? Yeah, everything. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. We had trained this morning, so and uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And listen, you're from the pitch piece drops this week. And of course, a large part of that is you telling your story firsthand of really pursuing two careers at once by choosing to play soccer for the Naval Academy. And of course, now as a reservist in the Navy while still being a professional soccer player. So there's a massive difference between being a collegiate athlete and being a collegiate athlete at a military academy. So can you set, shed some light on that for our listeners? How How is your routine different than, say, someone who, you know, spent their collegiate career at Indiana? Yeah, it's, it's a bit different. I think the dynamic um, is a bit different, as, as you said. Um, it's, you know, you've got the Division One athlete piece. Um, you've got the school piece, and obviously the academics, the Naval Academy uh, are quite rigorous, and then you have the military side of it. And so you're balancing the three of those things, and they're all very important, um, and you're making sure you're working your hardest uh, kind of throughout your entire day, whether it's on the military side, in the classroom, on the field. Um, but but it's great because it, it's this wholesome experience. You you grow as a person um, in every facet, and, and I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it, and it's helped me get to where I am today. I think what's really cool about your story as well, and um, you know, people will read the, about this a lot more in your from the pitch piece. But you share that bond with your brother, which I think is is super interesting. And um, I definitely wanted to give you the opportunity to, to shed some light on that, and if that's kind of brought you and your brother closer together, as, as both being, uh, you know, in in the in the military, and more specifically in the Navy. Yeah, you know, I would I wouldn't say that it's the the sole thing. I mean, we're all my siblings. You know, family is very important. Just we're all very close. My older brother. And I especially we do a lot together, but it's kind of cool to have that that extra connection between the two of us, um, both being in the military, both serving, and at the same time, it's also we come from very different sides of the military in regards to he's on the enlisted side, went to Penn State, enlisted afterwards. He's uh, an explosive ordnance disposal technician. I went to the Naval Academy, got a commission, was a surface warfare officer for a bit. Now I'm a public affairs officer in the reserve. So we have that common bond, but at the same time, we have very very different careers um and so there's a bit of you know we can talk about it and we can relate but at the same time we can share our experiences which are vastly vastly different and, and he finds what i do to be very interesting and what he does is is pretty cool in my eyes and a lot of people's eyes so it's, so it's a lot of fun the the contrasting that goes on between us you mentioned how close you and your family are, and your piece is being released alongside of, of 9-11, and that holds a special place for you and your family. And we're at the point now where generations don't even know what that day was like, which is just which is so crazy. And I know you and I talked a little bit about that uh, you know, a month or two ago, but walk me through that day for you and, and of course, how that affected you and your family, because you have a, a really close connection to you know that New York, New Jersey side. 
Yeah, um, so I'm in the piece, you know, my birthday is on the 12th of September, so I'm third grade, um, nine years old, happy-go-lucky kid, not a care in the world, coming home, you know, kick a soccer ball in the backyard. My dad was home from work early, which I thought was cool, but weird at the same time, so he normally wasn't home for, you know, from work that early um, before dinner. He was sitting on the couch, kind of speechless, just watching the TV, and, and I remember seeing, you know, the video of the, of the towers, um, burning on the TV and not really knowing what was going on. But obviously I, I thought it was very strange. It wasn't something that you see every day, obviously. Um, and yeah, it was, it was kind of a moment that I don't think any of us who live through it will forget. Um, certainly it was affected. We'll, we'll never forget. And for me, it's, it's important because you just, you don't know, you know, life is so fragile and we can't take anything for granted. And so, remembering what happened and, and making sure that we get everything we can out of, out of every day that we have, because we're lucky to be here. We're lucky to have this day and tomorrow's not guaranteed. Um, and to remember those that lost their lives and, and those that have gone in place to, to serve and protect our country um, in the war on terror and making sure that nothing like that ever happens again. And we're able to, to preserve our way of life. I don't want to give too much away about your piece here, but um, there's a really cool connection in Joe's story that I want to make sure everyone goes and checks out of um, his story with 9-11 and his experience and how that kind of, you know, transitions on today. Um, but I do want to switch gears briefly here and talk a little bit about, you know, your normal day to day, because listen, you're center back for the Riverhounds, which, you know, have had quite a uh, second half of the season here. You've been 11, two and two since June, which is impressive to say the least, including that six game uh, unbeaten stretch as well. And I got to know, Joe, what's working for this club right now? Um, it's first and foremost, it's just a really great group of guys, a coaching staff that's working really hard on the field, off the field for us, making sure they're putting us in the positions to succeed um, on Saturday nights or Friday nights, whatever day of the week we have a game. Um, but yeah, it's a good group of guys, solid locker room. Um, everyone's working hard. Everybody's on the same page. And despite the slow start, I mean, as you said, the last you know two and a half months, we've just been kind of keeping our head down, working hard, um, and things are starting to come off for us in the field, um, and everybody's confident. You know, we're feeling together, um, and we're just kind of trying to keep it rolling and peak at the right time as we head into the postseason. I love a player's perspective here because the East has been such a weird place this season. Uh, I, I'd love to know why you think it's been so difficult for the top three to five to really uh, solidify themselves at the top. I think it speaks to the quality um, in the league and in the Eastern Conference. There are a lot of very good teams, um, and so it's competitive. And so one week you might beat somebody, and then the next week you lose, and, and it's just it's tough to be consistent. And so I think, you know, that top group of teams, everybody's been consistent. And, I mean, you speak to how great we've been here over the last um, couple months, but we're still only in fifth place, right? So everybody's playing well. Everybody has quality. Everybody's working hard. Um, and so it's been a, really, a real battle, but that again goes to speak to just the amount of quality in the conference and the league in general. I don't think, I don't think people can take uh, three points for granted anymore against anyone um, in this league. And I'll tell you what, the regular season it, it's dwindling now, and we're coming up on our, our final weeks here. What are your thoughts on Pittsburgh's chances for a uh, USL Championship final victory? Can we get any uh, any bold predictions here? Uh, I don't. I don't think any predictions, but I'm pretty confident in the group that we have. Um, as I said, off the field, it's a very good group of guys. Everyone's really close on the field. 
a hardworking group. It's a good group. Um, and I think we have the tools necessary that if we can play our game and uh, affect the game how we want to affect it, I think we'll give ourselves a really good chance to be successful down the stretch. Looking forward to this final stretch of the season for the East and for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Joe Greenspan, thanks so much for stopping by and chatting with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it as well. steal some time and of course Joe gives us a, a perspective of 9-11 and what it was like for him and he didn't allude to it too much there but um, in the piece he goes into a little bit more detail about how his dad was actually in the city that day and um, just you know a lot of memories that are going to stick with him and his family forever and it kind of got me thinking what that time was like for me you know I was in second grade that is it's incredible to think that it was 18 years ago I you know I cannot believe it's it's been that long um but as a second grader you're you're so you just don't understand there's so many questions I remember sitting in class and all of a sudden kids are just leaving school left and right people are are getting called out of class and I'm really confused what's going on and they ended up keeping school open all day for us but um, when I got home, I just remember my mom standing in front of the TV, not like sitting on the couch watching it, like her face is in front of the TV. And I'm like, mom, what, what's going on, you know? And she's like, Kelsey, I need you to go to your room. And I'm like, and, I, and you know, as I got older and I talked to my mom about it more, um, I just briefly remember there being a lot of um, – disclaimers you know they they didn't want they, they wanted to make sure that the news was not on when kids were around or um you know because we have such impressionable minds you know it, it can go in so many different directions and i i just really remember my parents separating me from a lot what was going on because i, I give parents a lot of credit during that time i just don't how do you explain that do you know to your 10 11 12 year olds they just you can't comprehend it but yeah, I, I do remember bl- briefly in the shadows just seeing the smoke and, and everything kind of following down. And um, it's it's a time that I'll I'll never forget. Um, I I now have uh, a 10-year-old or, or a brother who's 10 years younger than me. So it's really interesting to see how um, it's approached now, I think, in the schools. And um, definitely a different perspective. I'm sure it's different all over the world as well. But um, it's really sad to talk to him and him not – he doesn't understand. He, he has, you know, no idea the severity and, and what that was like for us to experience as kids. Um, and no one should ever have to experience that, you know. But um, I think it's something that we as Americans definitely need to make sure that we are acknowledging and that generations who are up and coming understand the weight of, of that day. I don't know, uh, for Scott, for you, if there's anything that sticks out from, from 9-11 when you were in third grade, right? Yeah, third grade. Um, obviously, remember the day very, very well. Um, remember football practice being canceled in the evening and us just kind of being left to our own devices, asking a lot of questions, not a lot of answers, even like going as far as in the following days, like watching President Bush's addresses with my parents, like just – little things but the the thing that will always stick with me and i mean this very physically um i still have the paper from september 12. um and like my my family's one of the big things we've just always done is just something that i don't know if you want to call it like a 
like a token or a memento. Um, but like we have the paper from a lot of big personal events like Pacers, Colts, Super Bowl, stuff like that. Like uh, my parents, I have the original OJ trial paper and like 9-11 is obviously something that um, sits well above the rest of the fold in terms of importance. So uh, yeah, just um, a day that is seen a lot differently 18 years later, but will never feel less of a weight and significance. Thinking of all those families who were affected by that day and who continue to be affected by um, by 9-11. And I hope as a country we continue to to acknowledge and, and pay tribute to, to that day. Um, and, and, you know, if you want to go into more on 9-11 and what that was like for Joe Greenspan with the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, be sure to check out his piece because he definitely um, shed some insight on that and, um, you know, how that played a part in him choosing to go to the Naval Academy and, and play soccer. Um, and, you know, and, and while you're there, We've we've got a new uh, a new rundown happening this week on uslchampionship.com and it is our culture collection uh, edition. It is it's really cool. We've got uh, a select number of clubs that are representative with their their own kind of take this week with uh, Jersey. So we had a number of our designers here at USL HQ design their own uh, USL championship jerseys. And uh, they're really creative. They're really fun. Uh, be sure to, to, to go and check them out because on Friday, the voting's going to open. And the possibility of someone actually owning one of those jerseys is a very, very real thing. So get on there on Friday and vote and um, check out all, all of the uh, the culture collection do you have a favorite that you would like to pick out i so like i think it's hard to determine a favorite because there's a lot of different um levels so like when i look at charleston's jersey i know it's kind of a running favorite in our office i like it in terms of that it's so out there like it's very 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 different um i i think it's very fun it's not something i would ever imagine a soccer kick to look like um so I, I personally, um, I, I thought that one was was super fun. The other one I really like, um, I think it was uh, El Paso's, I think was my other one mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. How about you? Solid choice. Um, hometown kid loves the indie one. The sleeves. Loves the indie one. Probably going to end up buying the indie one at some point. Um, uh, it's tough to look past El Paso. Yeah. I think I should stop there, though, because I don't want to unveil a team that has yet to be I know, unveiled. It's so hard. Uh, but let me just say, there are a lot of, like, we have incredible creative talent out here. Yeah. And they, they put their minds to very good use of yeah. the last few months. Shout out to our designers. They, yeah. This is a huge project that was many months in the making. And um, these folks did a lot of research and a lot of work and a lot of. Uh, creativity and art into these projects and uh, just really proud of the work that they did um, and uh, hope people enjoy them because they're there's teams that I have no interest in yeah that I would buy their kits that that uh that they came up with because they're awesome. They're rock stars. And there's some really cool content coming after all the jerseys are um, going to be dropped too, which is um, taking you kind of inside the brains of our designers and watching them kind of create different pieces and, you know, what that process is like. There's So, yeah, a lot of really cool things coming out of it. I hope you guys enjoy it. Elsewhere, though, on social media this week, I think we – would be wrong not to bring up the watch heard around the world because OBJ made a statement this week wearing a, and now I might not be like super in with the style. Richard Mill is, is it Millie? Millie. I'm sorry. Should I know that? You guys no, are I don't smiling. Think you should, like, um, have to. 
there's like different reports going around of how much it's actually worth. I my most uh, credible source says it retails for one hundred and ninety thousand, but secondhand it's sold for way much more. So a lot of people are throwing around the two hundred fifty k number of. <laughs> It's worth. So yeah, the in his debut with the Browns, he wears this watch on his wrist, and uh, according to Apex Marketing Group, it generated more than two point one eight million in advertising value for that company. That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Um, I saw he said that if it was a twenty dollar watch, no one would have cared. So he's going to wear it again. <laughs> it's not a twenty dollar watch, OBJ. If I drove a Lamborghini, I'm sure people would have different thoughts than they do on my current VW Jetta, which is also a beautiful machine. <laughs> the point is... Still looking for a sponsor for the show? Yep, yep, VW. Do you hear me? Uh, the point being, dude, it's a 190K watch. Like, you can't pretend like you're not wearing something that's going to rightly cause eyeballs to be shifted in your direction. A player who naturally has many eyeballs on him as is. So maybe I'm just too cynical, but I, yeah. at this point in my life, like I don't, I don't think anything is not calculated. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. Seriously though. I mean, I'm, it happened to be Brown's colors. I'll say that. He there, pulled it off. There's social influencers everywhere right now on Instagram who are are kicking themselves. You know, OBJ has just stolen all these YouTubers' spotlight, and it's it's not it's not a good time for them. Um, yeah, so so apparently we all need to go um, buy watch or earn what OBJ does. I'm not sure one or the other. I could kind of go for the OBJ <laughs> track, but um, I can think of some other things to do with that money. That's fair. Uh, but push <laughs> comes to shove, you know. I do love watches. I'd trade in my current Fitbit. I don't even wear, wear a watch. I haven't worn one in a long time, but I do love watches. Hello, Richard Milley. <laughs> OBJ making waves, and I'm sure that's not the last time that he's going to be doing that across social media this year, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, let's look ahead to week 28, though. We've got, we've got a few games here worth talking about. Of course, Wednesday night soccer returns this week as Phoenix travels to Las Vegas. Um, that one is is going to be interesting. I they're going to go for win number nineteen, so we'll we'll see what um, Phoenix does on the road. And I will say, Las Vegas has lost two games at home all season, and that is concrete information that can be found on the internet everywhere. That is not a biased point of view. That is just what um, facts. That's facts. That's a fact. Facts. So. Um, keep keep that in mind. Um, is there anything in particular you're looking out for in that in, in that match? In that game specifically? Yeah. Um, first, as I look at FootMob, I want to give a shout-out to Matt Polanski in Pittsburgh, who has taught me the proper way to, to say this FootMob here. But um, as I look at this, and I look at Phoenix, and I look at Las Vegas, when you see the table, this is like do-or-die time for Vegas. Like, you're getting really in the stretch, especially with how tight the Western Conference is. Like, you really don't have much wiggle room. So... If you can rely on your uh, prior home success, you've got a better shot than most do, but Phoenix is its own beast, its own animal. Um, it's going to take a lot. How do you stop solo? Question is, is it dollar tequila night? Oh, that's a great question. God, it's dangerous. <laughs> um, e- equally dangerous on that Wednesday night, we have to acknowledge that Austin-Sacramento matchup, which when we talk about how confusing the Western Conference is at the moment and how tight it is, those are th- those are two sides that um, could see a lot of answers here in these yeah. next few weeks. And, um, you know, I, I like Sacramento in that one a lot. 
Um, but yeah, I think that one's equally for a Wednesday night matchup. We've got we've got a few good ones. Ina Voldson in the goals again this past weekend, so he's still churning. <laughs> he's still churning, and of course in the Eastern Conference, um, well, how are we ever going to pass up this Birmingham St. Louis matchup? And um, I know it's it's kind of the the not we've been trying not to hone in on these two too much because we just kind of have this weird curse going I think when you know we bring attention to somebody then something bad happens um but I think this one is is going to be a really great matchup again you know Birmingham's unbeaten in the last nine St. Louis has nine points in seven days um which team shows up is is obviously going to play a massive role in in the outcome of this one um I nil nil draw <laughs> Yeah, again. But here's the thing: if, if that Ugh, that heart. is the outcome, no one's gonna be surprised. That's that's like what's my. That's why I said it. I'm not that like, smart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a week 28, guys. We are we're in that home stretch of the regular season. Uh, postseason pictures starting to to come into play. The race of the playoffs is officially out and running. If you're interested on where everyone looks in that and what those magic numbers are feel free to head over to uslchampionship.com nicholas murray is cranking those out oh man numbers guru yeah it's two things i don't like numbers um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah be sure to check that out and um yeah we'll we'll look ahead to week 28 which means matt cavill there's one point of business left in today's show just one just one okay so uh, i did some prep work he's so excited i know he's so well it's gonna it's gonna feel complicated at first, but trust me, you'll, you'll I think you'll like the end result. Um, so I asked you both in advance from your hometowns where you grew up, your most passionate professional team. Profession in professionals key here. Oh, we went. Okay, yeah. now I see where we're going. Um, All right. So the question, the, the scenario is: Imagine if cities could trade players regardless of sport. So. Wait. Like people good for the city and stuff like no, that? No, no, no. Good for their team. But like you're not talking about just trading player for player within a sport. Like, yeah. For example, you chose as your most passionate, uh, the team you're most passionate about in Indianapolis, the Pacers. Correct? Correct. And Kelsey, you chose the Bengals. Mm. So Professional. I mean, oh, yeah, you see Bearcat naturally. basketball always. So the question is, if you could help the other team in your city... By, <laughs> by trading the best player from the team that you like the most, would you be willing to do that? And the example is, so for in, for the Pacers, if the Pacers could trade Victor Oladipo in order for the Colts to acquire NFL MVP Patrick Mahomes, would you be willing to do that? This is loaded, Calvo. And Kelsey Steele. If the Cincinnati Bengals could trade A.J. Green for the Reds to acquire Christian Yelich, would you be willing to do that? Dude, these are like my kids, Matt. These are like, this is my family we're talking about. Shout out to Adam and Mark who brought this question up in the office a couple weeks ago. I thought it was really interesting. Oh, so my God. I'm revisiting it here with you all. I'm ready. So you... you Trade one sport for the other. I'm ready. You got it? Yeah. All right. Let me get the timer here. Scott's excited. Uh, she's laughing at me already because my face <laughs> is probably just It's not a you. It's just, just so like somber. what I'm thinking about. <laughs> uh, okay. So Scott Stewart, 30 seconds. Go. 
I cannot do it. Um, Victor Oladipo is an Indiana University guy. He is an Indianapolis guy. He has made it proven time and time again that Indianapolis is his city, and we are all here to cede the city of Indianapolis to Victor Oladipo. So although I would love the Colts to get a player like Patrick Mahomes, I'm quite confident in Jim Mersey and the, the backroom staff, Chris Ballard and, and Frank Reich, that they can rebuild through the draft. It'll just take some extra time. But listen, Indy is made for Vic, and Vic is made for Indy. Wow. I thought, especially with recent events with the Colts, like this might have been in, I thought this would have been gone the other way. Vic means too much. Had you said Paul George a couple years ago, would have done it. Would have done the deal. Okay. Kelsey, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <clears throat> Go. Yeah, so absolutely not. Um, <laughs> here's here's the bottom line. Um, Cincinnati sports are so miserable as it is. I don't, one player is not going to make a difference. You know, if I throw uh, Carlos... Dunlap out and you know we get Justin Verlander on the mound for the Reds like it just it doesn't matter like we need so many more things as part of our equation to make things great and right now the Bengals need Carlos Dunlap so well like we can't get rid of him we need his we need his moxie we need his spirit and gosh dang it we need him on the line I always love watching her like scramble. She sees that she's got like five seconds she's <laughs> like I've got ten seconds I have ten <laughs> seconds of info but five seconds to say it yeah, it's uh, the hand. The hands get moving. Oh, I get closer to the mic. In here. Yeah. I, I love how your argument was that it won't, it won't matter. <laughs> it wouldn't do anything. So that's why, like when, when Scott was like, "Oh, she just laughed at me," because like that's what hit my head. I was like, "Oh, why am I even thinking about this?" She was like, "I am already too inherently sad, and this situation does <laughs> not, not reflect gonna win positive anyways. <laughs> Neither of them will win anyway. We're I think so the Colts good. would go to the Super Bowl with Mahomes. Genuinely. I, I think that Mahomes, especially without Andrew Luck now. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's tough. But you, what would, if, but you would say no as GM of the city. What if yeah. Patrick Mahomes went to the Bengals and Andy Dalton finally got the boot? That's not the same. No, you're just yeah. talking player for player. Same Sorry, sports. I, I was just curious. She just wants to play a situation like, where That Mahomes was just is. wishful thinking there. Yeah. <laughs> Girl can dream, right? Yeah. Yeah. What if I could trade Victor Oladipo for, you know, I don't know, like Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant? <laughs> you know? Wow. I wonder if I would. That's what I should have thrown into the social moment of the week is I, I took to Twitter uh, on Sunday and said that I could run a faster 40 than Andy Dalton. Boom. And a lot of people were like, Yes. Andy also, Dalton. can we see this? Yeah, Andy Dalton. Let's make this happen. Yeah, my dad, Papa Steele. Shout out, Papa Steele. There's his mention. <laughs> was Papa very much. <laughs> no <laughs> farm. No farm no. reference. I had one in the office this week, so Got I it. feel right. like we don't need it on the pod as well. All but right. yeah, dad, dad is fully on board with that. He said I would not question. <laughs> Listen, we've got some ma- some Bengals media contacts. We could maybe see what we could set up. It's an off season project. All right, off season. Oh, sorry. So uh, <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to have to go with Scott as the winner. Oh, really? Wow. I was about to tell you just give it to her because well, what she said is just so sad, Matt. It's just like we're not going to win anyway. <laughs> but her argument was so much desperation. That it's, <laughs> it, the, the, the fact that you said it wouldn't matter. But it wouldn't. Yeah, that's sad. That is really sad. It would matter for the Colts for sure. Three one seven is. It's the truth though. Now. Like. Yeah, it is. Honestly. It is. You're not saying Christian Yelich would put the the Reds over the top. No. No. Thank you. Thanks for the dub. I appreciate it. I we the Reds need a lot of things and. No, they, but they had need... you said you wouldn't want to do it because you didn't want to give up Carlos Dunlap or I love yeah. AJ Green like that's something. That's I did point. at the end when I was scrambling. I I alluded uh, to how important Carlos <laughs> Dunlap was the to year. the Cincinnati Bengals. He had one four sacks on Sunday. Scott Stewart wins. 
Thank you. Whatever. Appreciate that. Vic, shout out you, my man. Let's see you on the court this year. That's, that's a wrap on Steal Some Time, episode 16. We're going to catch you guys in week 29.